And I wanted to ask you about recently, there's been some developments with bricks. And I know you've been very enthusiastic here on this program about it. And I've covered it because it is a very encouraging development. And, and we have, um, you know, uh, at least 20 countries lining up to join BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, South Africa, uh, China and South Africa, the uh, economic mechanism, multilateral mechanism. Uh, and the summit is happening in August in South Africa. And uh, one interesting development that's occurred is not only are more and more countries wanting to join, Egypt is now part of the New Development Bank, their financial institution, uh, Bangladesh wants to join now. So it seems like as the summit gets closer, more and more countries, especially in the global south, are saying, let's hitch our wagon to BRICS because these countries are not waging war all the time and they're growing. Now, France, <laughs> I wanted to get your opinion on this. France, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, he has requested to join the summit as an observer. And South Africa, given that they're hosting it, said, oh, this might be innovative. This might be cool. Russia has said absolutely not because of how France has treated Russia. France is sanctioning Russia, which is a violation of BRICS's principles. And, of course, France is an enthusiastic supporter of what is a unilateral proxy war in Ukraine. What's your reaction to these developments uh, as the BRICS summit gets closer well BRICS is accelerating at a pace uh, that um, even the most ardent supporter of BRICS couldn't have anticipated uh, but you know nothing occurs in a vacuum uh, the acceleration of BRICS is uh, matched by the, um, the 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 degradation of um, American hegemony uh, the collapse of American hegemony the collapse of the petrodollar uh, the lack of uh, uh, you, know, you know, the loss of vitality of the G7. You know, the G7 used to be the economic uh, heart of the world. Uh, that it, you know, that's the narcissistic, uh, you know, hubris of the G7 members that the seven most powerful and influential economies in the world would come together uninvited by the world. Nobody asked them to do this. They did it themselves. For what purpose? To dictate global economic policy. So as the G7 went, so would the rest of the world. That's the hubris of it. That's the, the arrogance of it. Um, and, and BRICS basically said, well, we're, we're not happy with that. We'd, we'd actually like to uh, set our own economic agenda. And so it came together, but nobody took BRICS seriously. They're like, well, the problem is, you see, the G7 has the Americans, and the Americans have the dollar, and the dollar dominates the world. And as long as that's the case, BRICS will never be able to get the kind of traction necessary. Um, and... You know, I used to attend these uh, annual meetings of, um, I mean, I still do, it's done remotely now, of uh, people that, that deal with um, energy security and things of that nature. And there would always be these bankers there who would say, well, don't worry about the dollar. Um, nobody can afford to get rid of the dollar. The dollar is the most stable currency in the world. The dollar will always be dominant. I don't want to hear any talk about challenging the dollar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, gosh, didn't happen that way, did it? Uh, you see, the, the dollar uh, was destroyed not by BRICS challenging the dollar, but by America making the dollar um, unsustainable as a, a, a mechanism of international 
uh, trade. Why? The world got sick and tired of sanctions, first of all. There is sanctions fatigue. People are tired of America using uh, the, you know, the dollar, which is the global reserve currency. That's what we like. That's why the petrodollar is there. It's a global reserve currency, but it, it comes with a poison pill, which is if you use the dollar as the global reserve currency, and there, are no, there were no alternatives, um, and then that means that we get to dictate anything you do with the dollar. And if you do something with the dollar we don't like, we can sanction you. And this includes, because it's a global reserve currency, and we help design the SWIFT communication system for banks, um, let's say the country X, which is the business with country Y, it's between them. Um, but America's like, well, we're not happy what they're doing, but it's really none of our business. But because they did their business using the SWIFT system in dollars, we say, aha, you use the dollar, therefore, we can sanction you. We can impose our will on you. Now, that's against international law. You're not allowed to do that, but we do it because American law, of course, trumps everything. And Congress is the one that does this. The world just got sick and tired of this. But as many people said, the world can't afford to dump the dollar because it's too expensive. Uh, it costs too much. You have to stay with the dollar. Um, but then we went and we stole $600 billion or more of Russian sovereign wealth. This was uh, Russian money that they had built up as part of the global, you know, that, that reserve currency um, out there. And we just stole it. And now everybody went, wait a minute, you, you, you can't, that's theft. <laughs> and the United States said, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're America, we can do whatever we want. Um, and people started to wake up to the fact that if you can do it against Russia, you can do it against anybody. And people got, they're, they're, they're worried about it. So, now BRICS is coming in saying, hey, um, why don't we do this currency basket concept where we start doing trade in uh, currencies other than the dollar? And if we do it together collectively, we can eliminate some of the instabilities that makes that unattractive, you know? Um, and, and people started to say, yeah, sign me up for that. And here's an interesting thing, Brazil. You know, Brazil um, said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna start doing uh, transactions in uh, Yuan and rubles and other currencies other than the dollar. Senator Marco Rubio, you know, little Marco, um, you know, came out and he, <laughs> surprisingly honest, I have to give him kudos for being honest. He came out and he said, we can't allow the, the, the Brazilians to do this because if the Brazilians start doing trade in non-dollar denominations, we won't have the ability to sanction them. And then we'll lose control of the Brazilian economy. And I'm like, thank you for your honesty. Because that was the most honest thing a, a senator has said. Because America's policy, we now want to know what it is. It's about controlling the global economy by sanctioning people because of the dollar. And the world is sick and tired of that. And so they're dumping the dollar. And we see it right now. It is a tidal wave of people just saying, no more dollar. We're not going to do business with the dollar. Um, and one of the things that made it tough to dump the dollar is, for instance, let's take the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. It controls the global economy on behalf of the United States by providing loans, et cetera, uh, that, that come with strings attached. You have to uh, do things that um, <laughs> encourage the kind of debt load that makes the IMF and the G7 control your economy. Um, it's dollar driven. What is BRICS doing? They're developing their own development bank. 
and that development bank is starting to supplant the IMF. People are saying, we don't want the IMF strings anymore. We, we're going to look to the development bank. Um, BRICS is attached to perhaps the greatest economic engine in the world today, which is the Belts and Roads Initiative, the Chinese Global Infrastructure Development Plan that has poured in trillions of dollars into global development. Uh, to show you on the scope and scale, the, um, the United States and Europe have decided that they were going to respond by coming up with some you know, $600 billion fund. Um, understand that the Chinese have already put in $7 trillion, 7 to $10 trillion, depending on whose math. But we're going to respond with $600 billion, but only $300 billion of that would be government funding. Of course, we're never going to put that up. The other three hundred have to come from private industry. See, we can't even do it right. And all the strings that are attached to this, as we seek to develop your infrastructure, we're going to put so many strings attached to it that nobody's going to agree to it. And it never got off the road. It never really happened. Um, the Chinese own the global economy. They are the engine for the global economy. Uh, the global economy will cease to function without the Chinese. Um, and, and as such, the, there's a trend now for people to start to use the Chinese yuan. The yuan is becoming a very um, attractive currency because it's used everywhere, because the Chinese are everywhere. Um, but it's, it's more than just the, the yuan and the dollar. The Chinese now are recognizing that the economic clout that they have can be turned into diplomatic clout. But here's the beauty of the Chinese approach. The American approach to diplomacy comes in with the military. The military is the lead. We generate chaos and anarchy around the world so that the American military is seen as the solution, that you have to have a security pact with us uh, so we can bring in our military. And that's how we control the world, through strength. The Chinese are saying, that ain't our model. We want to control the world through economic prosperity. And to show you how important this concept of economic prosperity is, the Chinese turned to the Persian Gulf, um, one of the most contentious areas where Saudi Arabia has been positioned to oppose Iran by the United States, part of this military leaning forward thing where we've generated chaos and anarchy. The Chinese came in and asked the Saudis, are you benefiting from this? Honestly. And the Saudis were looking at it saying, you know, we have this thing called Vision 2030, where we want to convert the Saudi economy away from this energy, uh, where it's solely the energy. We want to diversify our economy, requires investment, et cetera. But we're bogged down in this war in Yemen. We're bogged down in conflicts in Syria. And we have to spend a lot of money to oppose Iran. And we can't do 2030 anymore. It's not going to happen unless we change the way we do business. And the Chinese said, why don't we work to make peace with Iran? Why don't we normalize relations, have rapprochement? And so now we can solve the war in Yemen, we can solve the conflict in Syria, and you don't have to spend hundreds of billions of dollars building up a military to fight Iran anymore. Instead, you guys can coordinate on energy policy and a joint effort to invest in the Eurasian Economic Union, this new European Eurasian economic engine that China and Russia and India are starting to promote. And the amazing thing is the Saudis and the Iranians went, sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. And they dumped America. Dumped America. Saudi Arabia has dumped America like the bad habit we are. Um, you know, America doesn't know what to do with the Saudis right now. Because normally the way we built up Saudi Arabia was through Aramco. 
and we got we we got the Saudis to overdevelop their oil fields. That's very expensive, by the way. And you overdevelop it, then you maintain excess production capacity, which is very expensive, by the way. Why? So America could pick up the phone and say, "We need cheaper oil. Produce more." And instead of the Saudis going, "Well, that's not in our interest because that drives oil prices down and we lose money," uh, we said, "But we guarantee your security." Remember that security uh, focus. And the Saudis went, "We'll do it." Or now they're producing that excess oil. They're starting to get income because of oil price. We need you to stop producing oil because we need to promote American oil. Well, wait a minute. We're Saudi oil producers. Why do we want to create conditions that are conducive to American exporting of oil? Because America said so. That's part of our security arrangement. The Saudis went, gotcha. They're done playing that game. The Saudis are now working with the Russians to set oil production quotas to reduce the production of oil at a time when America is screaming to increase the production of oil. Um, they don't care about America anymore. They're done with us. We are a bad habit that they're happy to flush down the toilet of life. And this is because of China, the Chinese approach, the diplomatic approach. I don't know if it can work elsewhere. China is talking about um, helping resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Wow, that would be interesting. You know, they'll do a better job than America because America is, is not an impartial middleman. America is always pro-Israeli. Therefore, there is no real peace prospects when America is involved in the negotiations. China doesn't have a, you know, a, a, a horse in this race. China's job is to promote stability because stability is the best medium in which economic activity takes place. A predictability, the lack of violence, the lack of chaos. So you can project years ahead, not worried about it all collapsing because of a war. That's what the Chinese want. And the world's waking up to that. And the vehicle for this is BRICS. Everybody wants to join BRICS. Um, and that's the future. It's exciting. It's wonderful. Um, even Emmanuel Macron is looking at the handwriting on the wall and said, hey, uh, I like to do this BRICS things too. The problem is he's trapped because of the stupidity of this policy vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine. But eventually, all of Europe's going to have to turn to China for economic development because the Americans, we don't have a plan. The only thing we offer is war, is violence, is death, is destruction. And the world's starting to reject that. I'm not saying that China is perfect. I'm not saying everything the Chinese do uh, touches turns out to be gold. Um, they have their own motivations. They have... Uh, you know, their interests, um, they make mistakes. But generally speaking, the Chinese approach is one that promotes economic prosperity over wars and destruction. The American approach is about war. The Chinese approach is about, so I think somebody, I forget who said it, but it was very clever. So I'm going to paraphrase it. But um, the Chinese want to build ports. America wants to bomb ports. And that's the difference between the two approaches. Right, right. Uh, there's been memes shared around on the internet because China has a agreement with Iraq to build over a thousand schools, and the meme that went around of the United States literally bombing the schools in Iraq during the invasion, and, and of course China now building them back. And the the same can be said about Laos and the Belt and Road Initiative now has a high speed rail because of China and China assisted Laos in demining those uh, explosives that were planted by the United States in that horrific war. So 
I, I mean, what's so ironic about this? I, both, I mean, this, if, I, the, if the Saudi Arabia example isn't mind blowing enough, even having whatever you think, I mean, I have a lot of opinions about Macron, 100% of them are negative. But at the same time, it's like it's like when you have someone like Emmanuel Macron, almost like like some may think, oh, he's duplicitous. He just wants to sit in. Maybe he's like spy. If you want to, you can go that cynical route. But I think the reality is, is that uh, uh, Macron is in a very unique position in that he's probably one of the least popular leaders in Europe, and uh, the French people have showed as much uh, how unpopular he really is. And at the same time, I, I think because of his particular circumstances as kind of like this child, like banker's child, like it, he literally is showing just how fragile the West is, despite how much like t the, even now. Right. It, uh, there's uh, high level officials, Chinese officials. They're, they're going all around Europe right now talking about cooperation in France, Germany. But even as they do that, these European officials are saying, we need to de-risk. And you even hear Brussels. I, I was in Brussels recently. There's a Huawei store. It may no longer be a Huawei store in Brussels very soon because they're looking to actually sanction Huawei as the United States has done. So you have this kind of double dealing. And so it's understandable why you'd mis not trust maybe what Macron is saying. And Russia certainly doesn't trust Macron and they shouldn't. Um but at the same time, I think just him wanting to be part of BRICS as he like in April signaled that he wanted to be strategically independent or autonomous from U.S. policy on China. I think it just shows how fragile this whole aim, this whole war aim that the United States has in NATO has with China and Russia is that eventually the SHIT hits the fan and China has 145 countries signed on to the Belt and Road Initiative. Russia, by way of this conflict, is kind of now the leader of de-dollarization. I mean, these things really do matter. And yep. I think these leaders, these so-called Western leaders, uh, are kind of they're 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 very aware of this, I believe. Well, Macron definitely is aware of it. He um he understands the um the fragility of um, France's uh, uh, situation. Um, it's interesting. Even Germany. I mean, the you know the, uh, the Chinese premier uh, traveled to Germany to meet with Schultz, uh, his first trip abroad after being uh, selected as the premier. And um, <clears throat> you know, Germany has, of course, uh, on the eve. Timing is everything. I tell you. And the Germans have just published their new national security strategy document which lists China, now let me see if I can get this right. They are a partner, they are a competitor, and they are a um, strategic, um, I mean, they, uh, not competitor, but um, you know, like, like an opponent, like an enemy. And so that's very schizophrenic in your approach to China. And so the Germans are saying that we have to de-risk, you used that term earlier, de-risk. Um, and they're putting a lot of weight behind it. You, you, you hear them politically say this. And it's not that we're delinking, decoupling. It's de-risking. We can't afford to be too dependent upon China. The problem is, though, that um, the German businesses are going, hey, guys, um, to do the de-risking thing you're asking for, 
we have to have um, you know capital that can be invested elsewhere. Um, that means we need to raise money, but the only way we can raise money is to invest in China because that's the only place where we can make money. We can't make money anywhere else because of high energy costs, high uh, you know employment costs because of your stupid policies. So to, to, to implement de-risking the way Germany wants them to implement means that they will destroy the German economy further. The only chance the German economy has of retaining any viability is to continue to invest in China. That's the predicament that Germany faces. That's the predicament that all of Europe faces. Um, because thanks to the blowback from their sanctioning of Russian energy or their decision to decouple from Russian energy, um, they've increased their reliance upon China. And China remains the only way they can make money in this depressed economic reality. And, and the Chinese premier knows this. He sat there and he listened to all the nonsense that uh, Schultz and Baerbach and others were throwing his way. He's like, mm, yeah, thank you. Okay, now I'm going to go talk to the real leaders. And he went and talked to all the business leaders who are saying, yeah, we're doubling down on our Chinese investments. That's the only way we can make money. And um, in a capitalist society, unfortunately, that's the only thing that matters. Because if a company doesn't make money, they shut down. They go away. They no longer exist. And um, that's, the, that's just the fact that uh, Europe needs to continue to expand its economic uh, investments in China, because that's the only market where they're making money. They're not making money anywhere else. Thank you for tuning in to my latest video. I appreciate all of your support. This channel, however, needs your help. I am seeking to make this channel more sustainable in the long term and upgrade necessary equipment to ensure that this work continues onward and makes progress to give you all of the geopolitical analysis that you all deserve. For that reason, I'm asking you to become a member of my Patreon community at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong. You can find that link in the video description or in the pinned comment below. For whatever amount you choose to give, just know you are supporting independent media that you can't find anywhere else. Thank you so much, and I look forward to the next video. Thank you.